115 for the whole chapter. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold, made by the hands of men. They have mouths, but cannot speak. Eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear. Noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but cannot feel. Feet, but they cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. O house of Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. O house, house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. May the Lord, may the Lord make you increase, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. It is not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to silence. It is we who exalt the Lord, both now and forevermore. Praise the Lord. So I've got a slideshow uh, that's going to come up, and uh, hopefully, I've got the little clicker thing here, hopefully it'll work. Um, As has been commented, uh, I am uh, all dressed up. Shirt with buttons, um, closed in shoes, I've brushed my hair. Um, at my last church, there was a joke that uh, if the pastor thought that he was going to say something that people might disagree with, or if uh, the sermon itself might be a bit controversial, he would do the same. He'd wear a tie. Um, I haven't gone that far, but with that in mind, I thought I'd start with something that uh, I think we can, we, we're all disagreeing with. Uh, God is dead. I think we can all disagree with that. Um, some of you, when you heard me say this, uh, might have thought, I know where the door is, and if he keeps on going, he can go. Uh, some of you may have thought when I said that, uh, well, Jesse let him up there. Um, I'm going to talk to Jesse afterwards. Some of you... Uh, may recognise... Nope. Okay, that doesn't, didn't work. Sorry. Um, I'll just have to uh, let you know when to click the slides across. Some of you may recognise uh, this as a quote from the German philosopher Nietzsche. Uh, those of you who recognise this coming from Nietzsche uh, may also be thinking, why is he quoting Nietzsche? Because... The rest of the quote says, God is dead, God remains dead, and we have killed him. See, Nietzsche believed that the knowledge boom of the 1800s had destroyed any chance of believing in God. He thought, we know better now. Uh, We don't need him. That was the cry of intelligence in the 1800s. God is dead. And we have killed him. If that sounds familiar, uh, it means we've been listening. It's been the cry of atheism 
for the last few decades at least. We know enough now that we don't need to believe that God exists at all. We can do it for ourselves. Uh, So we have scientists who are popping up, uh, like Richard Dawkins, Carl Sagan, and Neil deGrasse Tyson. Uh, Great minds who all say, God is dead. We have some more. We have entertainers like Stephen Fry, Tim Minchin, or the magician Pendulette, who again, God is dead. I think sometimes we think that this is a new development, uh, but today we can't really help but notice what the psalmist says. Let's read verse 2 together. Why should the nation say, where is their God? It's the same question. Throughout the whole of history, people either just repeat this question or assume they know the answer. The answer, of course, God is dead. But this psalm gives us a different answer. And it's really an answer in two parts. The first is the question, who is God? But the psalmist goes further. He answers a second question. Uh, If you don't have God, if God... If God is dead, then what do we have? And if that isn't enough, uh, he gives us a third answer. But I'll come back to that later. So let's begin this. Uh, Let's find out about God. Well, who is he? Uh, We have a few answers that the psalmist gives us that are just scattered throughout the psalm. So let's try and take them in a logical order. The first part of the answer that we get is personal. Who is God to us, to me, to you. Well, first up, if we look in verses 9 to 12, we have three groups of people. All of these people are grouped together and are given promises together. They're given the same promises. Uh, They're told to trust in the Lord and they're told that if they do so, they'll be blessed. Uh, Who are these people? We have the people of Israel, the house of Aaron, And those who fear in the Lord, uh, non-Jews who heard the word of God and said, this seems about right. Uh, So God is not an abstract being. God, he knows people. He knows groups of people. He knows these groups of people. So who is God to these people? Well, verses 9 to 11, he's their help and shield. Uh, He assists them. He protects them. In verse 12 and 13... Uh, He remembers them and he blesses them all. We aren't told straight away what this blessing is, but again, I'll come back to that. And I should point something out here. If we fear the Lord, then we are in this group of people. Uh, I'm looking around, I'm not seeing many Jews, I'm not seeing many people as dressed up as I am, dressed up like him. But we do fear the Lord. We are in this list of people. But who are the people of Israel and the house of Aaron? Well, there are two answers. We can take it literally. Uh, The people of Israel are the Jewish people and the house of Aaron are the priesthood of God specifically from the line of Aaron. In this case, we're number three on this list. Uh, We're not included 
in those first two. But, you know, we're still there. We're all on board? Good. I don't think we should take it this way, though. Uh, earlier in the year, we were looking at the overarching story of the Bible, uh, the story of God and his people. Uh, so when we were looking at it, uh, in the Old Testament, we have Israel, the house of Israel, are God's chosen people, and the other nations are not God's chosen people. In the Old Testament, God's kingdom is Israel, and Israel is God's kingdom. But then, as we look further, when we get into the New Testament, uh, Christ has come, Christ has died, uh, and risen again, and we have a new kingdom of God. Uh, The new kingdom of God is not just the nation of Israel, but it's all Christians. All of God's people are the kingdom of God, the people of Israel, uh, which that now includes us. So we're in the list twice. Uh, Similarly, the house of Aaron is the priesthood of Israel and God's representatives to his kingdom. Uh, But I don't think we should take it as, you know, Aaron's kid and his kid and his kid and all the way down the line. Because we're told at other places in the Bible, uh, like 1 Peter chapter 2, that we are a chosen people, a kingdom of God and a kingdom of priests. So after Christ, the people of Israel are us and the house of Aaron are us and those who fear the Lord are us. So for us reading it today, the psalmist is just saying it three times. Which again means something. Because throughout the Bible, if something gets repeated, we have to pay attention. Uh, There's a bunch of times where God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. What he's saying is, I am your God so much that I need to say it twice. I'm yours and you are mine. Here we are. This time he's saying it three times. It's so important. He's our help and our shield and our blessing. He is our shield and our hope and our blessing. And he is our help and our shield and our blessing. Uh, This is big. This is important. It's something that we're told to pay attention to. But the next thing we're told is what God has done. So look with me in verse 15. Uh, God has made heaven and earth. So God's made everything. Everything physical, God has made. And everything that's spiritual, God has made. Uh, This tells us two things. One is about the blessing that we've just heard about. Uh, We're told that just as God made heaven and earth so we will be blessed by him. It's a promise with proof. Uh, God has done this, so he can do that. So if, for example, if someone offers you a lift home, you know that they mean it when they ask for your address and they unlock the car door. Up until that point, 
you're still walking. But when they, they give you the proof of their promise, we know it's real. And this is what God's done. He's offered us blessing, and he said, look, I made heaven and earth. I can give you blessing. God has made the earth, and so he will bless us. The second thing that it tells us is what will happen to what God has made. Uh, So if we have a look in verse 16, uh, God has made the heaven and the earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. So heaven belongs to God and earth has been given to us. Now I'd like everyone to think back to Genesis chapter 1. We've all heard it before. Uh, But I want us to think about something. Time and time again we're told, and it was good. God made light and darkness and separated them, and it was good. God made the trees of the field, and it was good. God made the birds and the fish and the animals, and it was good. And God's given that to us. And it is good. This is a blessing that he has given to us. Whether we're in the list of people that uh, was mentioned earlier or not, we've all been given the earth. But for those of us who are on that list, God's given a second blessing. Jesus told his disciples when he was going away that he was going away to prepare a place for us. And so the question is, where was he going? Well, he was going to his father's house, where there are many rooms. He's going to heaven. The place that's reserved for God, that God made heaven and earth, and he reserved heaven for himself, is being prepared for us. For those of us who believe we have the blessings of of all good things, all of earth, is here to bless us. But we also have the promise of all good things in heaven, which sounds pretty good. The last thing that we're told, uh, look with me in verse 1. I say the last thing we're told, it's the first thing that's written, but poetry is out of order sometimes. So look with me in verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, but to your name give glory. Why? Because of your steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, I could have said that anywhere. Uh, Poetry is out of order after all. But why is that the first thing the, the psalmist wrote? And why is it the last thing that I said? Well, it's because the psalmist tells us what the response to the rest of the psalm should be. So he tells us all of these things, and he's already told us what we should do. Not to us, but to your name give glory. So what the psalmist is saying is, God, you're pretty good, you're so good, 
that if there's any glory in the world, I want you to have it. Don't save any for me. Don't save any for anyone who hears this, who reads this. Don't save any for anyone else. It's all yours. Which should also be our response. If God's worthy of reserving all glory for himself, then let's jump to the end of the psalm now. Uh, Verse 18. We will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. This should be our response to God as well. Eternal praise. So we know who God is, we know what he's done, and we know what we should be doing. And so we're ready to move on. But some of you may be thinking, before that, uh, before we move on, that wasn't the question. The psalmist never asked, who is God and what has he done and what should we do? The psalmist said, Where is God? And I haven't answered that at all, have I? Uh, And you're right. I haven't. There's a reason. As we read through the Bible, sometimes something like this gets raised and it just gets shut down immediately. Uh, This is one of those times. The psalmist dismisses the question out of hand. Look with me again in verse 2. Why should the nations say, where is their God? And it's answered straight away. Well, where is God? He's in heaven. Okay. Well, what's he doing there? He does whatever pleases him. Isn't that just a great shutdown? You you can almost hear the conversation going on. Where's God? He's in heaven. What's he doing? Whatever he wants. You can almost hear the psalmist saying, look mate, he's God, you're not, just, just pipe down. Sit this one out. And so that actually is the first question that the psalmist answers now. Uh, and, you know, the second is just as important. What can you have if you don't have God? Well, at the time... It was a fairly easy question to answer. Everyone had a God that they followed. If you didn't have Yahweh, the God of Israel, there was another one. Take your pick. Uh, Maybe Baal or Asherah. Maybe uh, Ra, the Egyptian sun god. Or Ishtar, the Babylonian goddess of war. But whoever it was, it was someone different. Uh, So today, we're going to have a different list. People don't believe in those gods. People have other gods. If you're Muslim, you have Allah. If you're Hindu, you might follow Vishnu. If you're a Buddhist, you might follow the teachings of the Buddha. But as we think through, it's a much shorter list. And on top of that, according to one count, there's about one and a half billion people worldwide who say no, no religion, when they mark on the census. So they're off the list too, right? Well, not really, as we have to return to where we started. If God is dead and we have killed him and he remains dead, I'll read the next part of the quote out. Sorry, if it goes up. 
What festivals of atonement? What sacred games will we have to invent? Must we ourselves not become gods simply to become worthy of it? What he's saying is that if God is dead, then we need something else to be the biggest thing in our lives. And he's saying, must we become gods? Shouldn't this be ourselves? Which we see a lot of. Most people that we see around us today uh, just do whatever it is that makes them happy. Sex, drinking, drugs, shopping, chocolate, whatever it is. Everything that modern culture tells us to do is to make us happy. Because, as one company says, we are worth it. So in this world, we can be our own God. But if we take a step back from there, if we've made ourselves our own God, it's not really us that we've made our own God. It's our happiness. Uh, Because as we think through this list of things, even if they're enjoyable, even if they're fun, even if they make us happy, they will eventually destroy us. And that isn't really making ourselves the biggest priority. That's making my happiness the biggest priority. So then, what is left for us? And so we try and find something else that will give us meaning uh, and make this our God. And I think this is more dangerous because it doesn't look as bad from the outside. We aren't just crazy hedonists doing whatever we want. We look like someone who's just serious or devoted to something. But who or what are these gods? We get told a lot about what gods are and what they mean to us. But possibly the simplest explanation is this. A god is anything that we prioritise and devote ourselves to. Uh, Something that we're willing to sacrifice for or to. Some of these are big things. Uh, The community that we're a part of, our family, for many who live here, Australia itself might be a god. Uh, Some of these might be little things, Uh, paychecks, school, uh, health, a sports team. Some of them come together. Uh, We might devote ourselves to a sports team because we feel devoted to the community or to the country. Uh, We may devote ourselves to the school because our kids are there and we're devoted to our family. This, for some of us, might cut a bit closer uh, because we each have something that we sacrifice for. So I'd like to uh, offer a word of comfort before I keep going because these things aren't necessarily bad. All of these were made and given to us by God to be blessings for us. When God made the whole earth and gave it to us, it was good. It's a blessing. These are good things. Family is good to look after. Our health is good to try and maintain. Community, if it's a good one, is good. The Wallabies, the Australian cricket team, it's a toss-up. Take it on the day. But... All of these things become gods 
and they stop being blessings when we prioritize them over God. They can be good, but not more than God. And if these are gods, then how do they stack up? Or if we start with ourselves, as that's the first thing that people will pick, it's pretty poor, if we're being honest. Uh, I know how terrible I am. I'm sure we all know how terrible we all are. Uh, We're definitely not God material. Uh, But what about other things? Let's have a look at what the psalmist says about them. In verse 5, let's just go through the list. Uh, They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear. Noses but do not smell. Hands can't feel. Feet can't walk. They can't make a sound in their throat. Uh, What's the point? These gods are completely impotent. And then the psalmist tells us why. Their idols are silver and gold. They're the work of human hands. As Lynn helpfully showed us, a log, even if we make it into something, it's still a log. Uh, The things that the psalmist talks about were metal. Someone built them, fashioned them into shape and put them on a pedestal so we could all see them and then worship them. While we might not worship things that are made out of metal today, we do the same thing though. We devote ourselves to things that people have made, things that have been built and fashioned and placed on a pedestal so that we can see them and worship them. And so, friends, if there's something that we're devoting ourselves to and sacrificing to and prioritizing that is made by human hands, then we should remember these words. Because these things can do nothing for us. Nothing of note, anyway. And how can they? How can something that I've made fulfill me at the end of the day? How can a community fulfill me in the long term, or if I move away? How can a sports team that I cheer for bring me fulfillment if they lose? How can my health satisfy me when I inevitably die? They may be nice to have around, but that's the end of it. They all have an expiration date. These things can't give us any fulfillment. How can they? If these other gods can't see or hear our problems, how can we bring them forward to them? If they can't speak or make any sound in their throats, how can they answer us when we ask them to solve our problems? How can they reach us in the place that we need to be reached if they can't walk? If we make them a god over us, then they are completely impotent and anything that we gain from them is as temporary as they are. I'll say that again. Anything that we can gain from them is as temporary as they are. So, we have our first two questions answered. Uh, Who is God? Uh, He's a help and a shield. He bestows blessing. He's the creator of heaven and earth. He's given earth to us as our dwelling place, just as he's in heaven, and he will give us heaven later. 
He's steadfast in his love and his faithfulness. These are the promises that are given to those who trust and fear in him. And what about the other gods? The ones that we use to take his place? They're completely impotent. Worthless. Which leads us to the third question, which is already up there. What next? Uh, Well, for those... We we have answered this. For those who follow God, we're loved by him, we're helped by him, we're shielded by him, we have all good things and the promise of heaven. Uh, It can be us, in verse 18, that extol the Lord, both now and forever. But if that's one option, the psalmist answers the other option too, which should be going up. Uh, If we look at God and say, no thanks, and we walk in the other direction, and we look at other things and say, this is good, then the psalmist has something to say for this option too. It's a word of warning and it should be worrying if we take it seriously. In verse 8, we read, those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. The psalmist is saying, you are what you eat, you reap what you sow. If there is something that we've devoted ourselves to, that we've built ourselves in the image of, when that thing fails, so will we. What it achieves, we can achieve, or at least you know, what it achieves will be all that we can achieve. Because when the object of our devotion fails so will we. Those who become them, or those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. If we take this seriously, it should be worrying. But I don't want to end on a downer. Uh, The psalmist doesn't, so why should I? Uh, I've got two stories uh, to finish us up with. Uh, In the Ninth century, there was a book of Psalms written up. Uh, There were many. Uh, There's one in particular that I'm interested in right now. It's called the Utrecht Psalter. Uh, You can look it up if you want. Uh, Each of the Psalms, like this one, this one is Psalm 115. Each of the the Psalms is written out painstakingly in Latin. And each of them has their own drawing to illustrate Uh, I'm not much of an art historian, uh, but I'm told that these drawings are still studied today and influenced such famous uh, artworks as the Bayou Tapestry a hundred years later. Um, It's it's studied for all sorts of things. Uh, The style, the material, general history of art. I'm told all of these things. I'm not personally an art historian. But this is for context. See, there are two drawings for Psalm 115. The first one is underneath it. Uh, It's a bit difficult to see up the back, so I'll describe it a bit. But this one is one of the first Western images of Jesus dead on the cross. Uh, There's some other medieval mythology in there. Uh, Can we jump to the next one? Because it's a bit tighter in. You've got Jesus dead on the cross. You've got uh, Joseph of Arimathea collecting the blood for the Holy Grail 
other medieval mythology, things like that. But the central image is Jesus having died for us. The blessing, the person who copied this psalm out, uh, believes, is that Jesus died. The greatest blessing is that Jesus died. There's a second uh, drawing for this psalm. Again, it's a bit difficult to see, but again, I'll describe it. It's honestly rather a lacklustre drawing of heaven. Uh, But this isn't the main point of the picture. The main point of the picture is just to this side of it. So if we jump to the next psalm, or the next picture, it's a believer escaping from hell and being welcomed into heaven by a resurrected Jesus. The greatest blessing we have is that Jesus died for us, was resurrected, and welcomes us to heaven. The illustrator, when he was drawing this, knew that. Story number two. Uh, The hymn writer, Fanny Crosby, uh, American hymn writer, wrote more than 6,000 hymns, uh, which, if we think about it, that's one a day for a long time. (laughs) At the age of six weeks, though, uh, she went blind from a childhood childhood illness. Uh, A preacher uh, once said to her, I think it's a great pity that the master did not give you sight when he showered so many other gifts upon you. And, you know, it was. But she turned to him and said, Did you know that if I had, at birth, been able to make one petition, it would have been that I would have been born blind? preacher asks the obvious question, why? Because when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my saviour. To Fanny Crosby, like the person who drew the pictures for the Utrecht Psalter, the greatest blessing was to be welcomed into heaven and to be able to see Jesus. I mention this because one of her most enduring hymns takes its theme from this psalm. Uh, We probably have all heard it before. To God be the glory, great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his life as an atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord. Let's pray to that God. Dear God, we thank you today that you are not absent or dead. Uh, We thank you that in you we have the greatest blessing that we can imagine. We ask that you would help us to put aside anything that we hold above you and that you would help us to praise you above all else. 
And we thank you that you remember us. Amen.